Good morning. I'm not sure if I should be offended right now, because about five weeks ago when Pastor Randy stood up to speak, you all cheered. (laughs) Now you're just patronizing me. (laughs) Amen. It's good to be here. Praise the Lord. Aren't these good days to be a part of Pathway Church? There is a freedom in the air, there's an excitement in the air, there's a good busyness in the air. It's just good to be a part of Pathway Church. The Bible says, I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. Amen. Uh, My name is Wayne Smith. I am the um, head of school at Masters Academy, and we're a school that meets right here on this campus. We are a ministry of Pathway Church. So I just want to take a couple of minutes and give you an update. Last year this time, we were scrambling. What do we do with 200 students and the world is shutting down? We had kind of spoken about online school, online classes. We had looked into a couple of platforms. We didn't know how to handle that, but we shut down. And we served our 200 students online for the rest of the year, uh, and our teachers did a fantastic job. I was so proud of them. And we finished the year out. Uh, Everything was different. Our end-of-year activities were canceled. Our graduation was postponed several weeks, but we finished the year out. But our enrollment took a dive, about 15 to 20% dropped. And we entered this year with deep concern. But God has just helped us. Uh, God has shown up in wonderful ways. Uh, in fact, the lights on this morning, not because of a Masters Academy salvation, but because of someone in our church got saved this week. All right, let's praise the Lord. But we, we have had six salvations at Masses Academy just in the past few weeks. And, <laughs> and financially, we're going to close the year out in the black, and we're already projecting that next year we're going to be okay financially. Our enrollment is climbing. There are so many people out there that are concerned about COVID and the public schools and uh, the culture, and there are good schools out there. There are good public schools out there. There's good private schools out there, and we don't stack ourselves up against them. We stack ourselves up against culture, and we're getting so many, so many inquiries about, are you, are you going to be open? Yes, we are. Are you going to be delivering education? Yes, and we tell them from a biblical worldview perspective, Uh, That's uncompromising. And so pray for us as we head into a new year. God is good and we're excited. And so I just wanted to share that update because we, as a school, focus on discipleship of Christian family kids. That's our focus. We, We are not evangelistic by mission, but at times God brings students across our paths who do not know Him. And we serve them and we minister to them and we share the gospel with them. And this, is, and this is pathway, right? God has called us to be ambassadors uh, 
for him in this community, in this uh, city, uh, and beyond. So another update is more personal. Um, about four years ago, I told you that my dad was battling cancer, and many of you came and asked me about him and prayed for him, and I was so appreciative of that. And then two years ago on Father's Day, I actually brought him into our service, you might recall, and he spoke to us from South Africa, and he told us his story of alcoholism and getting set free from it and living in sobriety. And uh, it was just a wonderful moment. Uh, well, my dad passed away in October. And I miss him today because he would have tuned in. And maybe, maybe God is saying, hey, Norman, check this out. <laughs> well, about two months ago, uh, well, well, let me just back up because after my dad sobered up, Literally for years, I had this dream from time to time. It wasn't every night. It was maybe two, three times a year that I would dream that my dad was drinking again. And it was a horrible dream, and I would literally wake up the next day and call him, Dad, are you still sober? <laughs> and he'd say, yes, I'm still sober. Well, about two months after he passed, I had this dream again. And I woke up, and I lay in bed thinking, I need to call my dad. I need and then I realized... He's sober. He's in heaven. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So I'm actually going to come back to him later on <laughs> in this uh, sermon. So, so, so we're, in the, we're in a series called This is a Pathway. And in this series, we are looking at who we are as a church, our mission, our values, our discipleship pathway. And last week, Pastor Brown spoke on 1 Corinthians chapter 5. By the way, he's fine. Uh, his family's good. They're still quarantining until Tuesday. Um, and he and I are kind of tag-teaming, uh, looking at the same passage. Uh, last week, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he looked at verses 12 through 17. And this morning, I'm looking at verses 18 through 21. And last week, Pastor Brown spoke about all things new about we are being made new, and we're new creations. And what is it that we do with this? What, is that, what, what do we do now with this new perspective that God has given us in this, in this world, since we are made new? And, and so the title of my message is Ambassadors of Reconciliation. And this is Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday, 2,000 years ago, started a whole series of events of uh, Jesus and his life and his death. And some of those events in the world of diplomacy were very undiplomatic. But yet we know that Christ was the ultimate ambassador. Do you know that 156 years ago, on Palm Sunday, the Civil War came to an end? And I'll come back to that later on also. So our key word for us this morning is reconciliation. The word only appears 15 times in the New Testament. Matthew uses it once, uh, Luke uses it once in Acts, and then Paul uses it 13 times. Reconciliation was a big thing in the life of Paul, in his writings. Five times Paul uses it in this passage. But, but that's not the only word that stood out to me as I studied this passage. There are two other words, and so our outline for this morning is basically three words, ambassadors, beseech, and reconciliation. 
So let's read. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. All this is from God. So that immediately causes us to ask, well, what are you talking about? All this, is the, Paul, is, Paul is connecting a previous thought with his current thought. He says all this, and so we go back to verse 17. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. So Paul is saying all this new stuff, all this new life that we have in Christ, all this new perspective that we have, all this new way of seeing things, all this new from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal, that's the word beseech, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our first word is ambassador. Ambassador. So let's reread a few verses. Verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against him. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> that God doesn't count our trespass against us. Are you counting someone else's trespass against you? <laughs> That's another ball game, isn't it? I'll come back to that. Not counting their trespass against them and entrusting to us a message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is somebody who represents a king or a head of state or a nation. It's somebody that is mature, we hope, that they're tactful. Maybe an older person that's more seasoned in diplomacy. Somebody that has a high regard for the person who sent them and who's extremely loyal to them and then going and represents that person to a city, a people group, a nation, an organization. The word ambassador in the Greek is presbio. Presbio, that's, that's where we get the word presbyter from. An elder, a mature person, someone who's authorized to speak on behalf of the head of state. Now we know that Christ came as an ambassador of heaven. He left heaven to come and serve us. He repeatedly told us that he was speaking on God's behalf, that he was doing God's business, that he was about his father's business. An ambassador, as an ambassador, Jesus faithfully, carefully, intricately, accurately interpreted the mission, the purpose, the mind, the heart of God to us. Jesus met with powerful people. Jesus met with influential people. But Jesus didn't just represent God to the rich and famous. No, he represented God to all people. For all people. 
Now, there's a stirring aspect of this idea of being an ambassador, but, it, but, it's, but it's somewhat of an exciting aspect too. <laughs> because Jesus, being an ambassador for heaven, now calls us, his followers, to be ambassadors, to represent him to the world, to our family, in our office. And this is kind of stirring to us because we might not feel like we're equipped to do that with all the mess that we might have going on, with the life that I've lived, the stuff that's in my past. Does God really want me to be his ambassador? One author called this a sacred treasure. That God has instilled within us a sacred treasure to be his ambassadors in this world. Paul had a very clear thought about being Christ's ambassador. In Ephesians chapter 6, he wrote this, praying at all times for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And then in our text this morning, Paul says that God gave us the ministry of reconciliation, so we are ambassadors of Christ. This is a high and holy calling, and this is a calling that rests on every single one of us if we are a Jesus follower. You are an ambassador for Christ. You might say, I can't. <laughs> Not me. I didn't sign up for this job. <laughs> we are. The second word is beseech. Let's go back and read verse 20. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. The Greek word there is beseech. Making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. The, uh, the King James Version says, as though God did beseech you by us. Beseech in the Greek is parakelio. It means to exhort. It means to encourage. It, it, it means to beg. Beseech. I'm begging you. I'm appealing to you. I'm beseeching you. I'm encouraging you. I'm begging you. At, at uh, Master's Academy, our preferred dictionary is the Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary. <laughs> it is a wonderful dictionary because in that dictionary, Webster always, almost always, has a biblical reference to every word that he defines. In the 1828 definition of beseech, he says, to implore with urgency. There is this urgency on behalf of the ambassador representing his king. This urgency to get a message across. This urgency to talk to those that maybe the king has defeated. The enemy that had gone up against the king, the ambassador comes to, to try now and to build a bridge. What is it that kings in the ancient world did with defeated foes? They paraded them in cities so that people would mock them, criticize them, and throw things at them. They manacled them in city squares so that people could go throw rotten tomatoes at them. 
maybe even strike them and ridicule them. Over and over we see this in history. But not this king. Not this ambassador. Yes, he is beseeching us, but there is no gloating. Because this was not a battle of swords and cannons and bullets. This is a battle of the wills. This is a battle of evil forces. This is a battle for our souls. And you might call this battle something else. You might call this a battle of a relationship that has just defeated you. Or for you it might be a battle of health where you've just given up. Or maybe it's a battle of a failed career that has left you heartbroken and you're just feeling beaten. Maybe you blame God or at least you question Him. Maybe there's bitterness, confusion, maybe even some anger. And so we go back to Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago and Christ the King, Christ the Ambassador rode into Jerusalem on a, on a donkey, not very diplomatic. And the people are cheering Him and celebrating Him. And literally a week later, they bay in for His blood. And Jesus gives it. Not for the reason that the people were demanding, but Jesus offers it, and this, is, and this is so bizarre. And on the third day, Jesus rises from the dead, and he establishes beyond a doubt, beyond historical question, his divinity, his victory over evil, his power over sin, his position as king. And what does this conquering king do then? to us, his subjects? What does this conquering king do to us who at one stage in our lives opposed him and did not serve him and maybe even questioned him and mocked him? What does this conquering king do? There is no gloating. Instead, this king, this all-powerful warrior, he bends down. And he enters into our muddy and messy domestic situations. He comes down into our world, into our hang-ups, into our addictions, into our broken and torn relationships. And he beseeches us. He beseeches us and he says, let me give you victory. Let me bring you peace. Let me work on that relationship that you think is irreconcilable, and let's reconcile it. This is what Easter is about. This is what our ambassador does for us, the great reconciler. There's no humiliation there's no condemnation. He does not hold our sin against us. He beseeches us. Simply come, follow me. There is this infinite longing in the Creator's heart for the Creator's love. An infinite desire for unity between Him and us. 
What emotions are present in a God who would stoop so low to his subjects and beseech them to end their hostility with him? Think for a moment of Jesus when he crossed the Kidron Valley and stood on the Mount of Olives looking back in Jerusalem literally hours to the end of his life and he sees the temple and his heart is just broken and is crying out because that city has rejected him and he cries out and he actually verbalizes, he, he, he speaks his words, Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks but you were not willing. Think of the emotion of God, the King, when He looks at His followers who are harassed and troubled, and He beseeches them, Come to Me, all you who are laden and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Picture His boldness and His tenderness when He's surrounded by an angry mob with stones, one into stone, a young frightened lady supposedly caught in adultery. And Jesus says to this young lady, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Do you fully grasp the justice in a loving God who says to those who have fought him and mocked him and criticized him and persecuted him, there is now no condemnation. I don't think we fully understand those words. There is now no condemnation if you're in Christ. To us who deserve the punishment and the wrath, instead we hear the words, I beseech you, come. John Calvin calls us the incomparable commendation of the grace of Christ. Just, just take a few seconds and allow those words to sink in. If they're still up on the screen, if you can put them back up on the screen, the incredible, incomparable commendation of the grace of Christ. The one who beseeches us, who, who, who is begging us, come. Begging us, be reconciled. Begging us, give up the guilt and the pain that you have. A bank manager called me recently. He said, hey, we just drew some names out the hat this morning and your name was pulled and we're going to cancel your mortgage. <laughs> so I said, yeah, you know, I actually like my mortgage. <laughs> we would never do that, right? Or what if you stood before a judge and you were as guilty as sin? And the judge says, I'm letting you off. And you say, no, judge, please punish me. <laughs> and sometimes we hold on to our guilt. And we hold on to our sin. And we hold on to our pain for whatever reason. I don't know, maybe there's something psychological about it. And God is saying, I want to set you free. And we hold on to, to the bitterness we have to someone else because they did this to us and they did that to us and they did that to my, my mother or my father. And God is saying, I want to set you free. Because I've paid the price. 
that brings you healing. There's no condemnation. The last word is reconciliation. As ambassadors, we're representing God to the world. We beseech. God beseeches us. We should be beseeching others to be reconciled to God. In other words, reconciliation. Let's read two verses again. Verse 18. And all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them. Reconciliation, the Greek word here is katalasso, and it's actually a financial word. And those of you in finance, in bookkeeping, those of you who balance your checkbook down to the very penny will appreciate this. The word, the word, the word actually means to reconcile down to the exact point. It's not just some vague reconciliation, okay, I'm going to kind of get along with Aunt Sally. No, it's coming down to the very nitty-gritty of reconciling to that very point where you're prepared to eyeball to eyeball somebody and be reconciled. That's tough, isn't it? Because you're thinking of that person now, right now. That you've had enmity with or they've got enmity towards you and you know it. The word karalasoya means to that very point. Eighteen months ago, I was in Greece, and uh, there's a picture here of, of the one before. There we go. That's me and my two beautiful sisters. Uh, that's Jackie right next to me. She's my Greek sister. She's lived in Greece for about 40 years. And uh, the other one is the matriarch of the family now. She's the oldest. Uh, it's my oldest sister, Yvonne. And we were in Greece. And before I went to Greece, I had to change money. Right? I had to change into euros. That's the katalasso, this, this, uh, this reconciling one, one thing for another thing. And then we went on top of uh, this mountain in the middle of downtown Greece, and that's the Parthenon behind me. And then after we finished on, the, uh, on, on this mountain, we were walking down this winding path, down, and there were all these vendors down this path, and I stopped and I bought this little trinket. I forget what I was bought, what I, what I bought, and I paid with some euros, and I got a 10 euro note change. And here's a picture of that euro. That's the exact 10 euro note change that I got. And we carried on walking, and about an hour or two hours later, we stopped for lunch, and I pulled out my wallet, and I paid for my lunch, and uh, the waiter took the money, and, and then I saw three of them kind of looking and chatting to each other, and I thought, oh, is there something wrong? And they came over to our table, and my sister had to interpret for us, I gave them a fake 10-euro note. <laughs> and this is the exact 10-euro note. And then my sister explained to him that some guy up the road gave it to me, and, uh, I, and, and I'm immediately thinking, I'm, I'm going to march up that hill and go and talk to this guy. But, but then I'm thinking, you know, I've got a cool story here. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually going to keep this fake 10 euro note. Only you can answer this. If the reconciliation between you and God is genuine, or fake. 
Only you can answer if the reconciliation attempts between you and that other person has been genuine or fake. God knows. And so do you. And God is beseeching you this morning, be an ambassador of reconciliation in this world. Be an ambassador of reconciliation. I know this is difficult. So I'm going to share in closing as we wrap this up two very significant statements that you might take exception to, but just hear me out, okay? The first statement is this. Reconciliation is not an option for Christians. It is a requirement. My friends, it's not an option. If we are Christians, if we are followers of Jesus, reconciliation is not an option for us. It is a requirement. And over and over again in church history, we have seen this played out. Christians and Romans, slaves and masters, sons and fathers, daughters, mothers, partners, team members, spouses, ex-spouses, employers, ex-employees. And the word to us is be reconciled. That doesn't mean we go back to the original social state. It doesn't mean that you have to rekindle a romance. It doesn't mean that you have to rehire them. It means that you are willing to extend the hand of Christian fellowship eyeball to eyeball and reconcile. And you're not responsible for how they react, but you're responsible for making the effort, a genuine effort to be reconciled. Reconciliation is not an option. You know, I told you I'd come back to my dad. For some reason, well, well in fact, I'll back up. Um, when my wife and I were planning to get married, the pastor that married us, uh, he counseled us and he asked us about our, our lives and our childhood, and both my wife and I grew up in a dysfunctional home. And he asked us on how, uh, on how we were doing, and we were in our young 20s, and we knew everything, and life was great, and um, he actually said to us, and I'll never forget these words, he says, well, it's going to show up later on. And it did. For me, it showed up in my mid to late 30s, where there was this stuff that was bubbling to the surface, not just with my dad, but with my mother too. Because I was raised in a home with an alcoholic father and an emotionally unstable mother. And we would never know when my father would be drunk or when my mother would explode emotionally. Never. And for some reason, it was easy reconciling with my dad. And my dad and I had this wonderful relationship. It was hard reconciling with my mother. I did five years after she passed away. I'm not going to go into those details, but it was a moment, it was a spiritual moment between God and me where God just, just healed me inside. And we were reconciled. God is calling us to reconciliation. So that second significant statement is this. <laughs> In Christ... There is no such thing as an irreconcilable relationship. 
And you might be thinking, well, Wayne, you don't know my ex. No, I don't. And I'm not trying to minimize that at all. But if we believe that Christ conquered death and sin and evil in the cross and the resurrection, then we have to believe, we have to believe that He can help us reconcile with that person. At the least, He can help us make an effort. So in closing, I just want to come back and tell you a story from the Civil War. If you can show that slide, I'm almost done here. There is a, there is a picture of furniture. On Palm Sunday, 1865, General Robert E. Lee, um, he uh, sat in the swivel chair, I believe. No, Robert E. Lee sat in that, cane, in that tall cane chair, and Ulysses S. Grant sat in that swivel chair. And history calls this a gentleman's agreement. A gentleman's agreement. There was no formal ceremony. There was no long documents to sign. Grant actually told one of, one of his officers to take notes, and he pulled out a piece of paper, found a pen, wrote down some terms of surrender. And they shook hands. And Grant said to Lee and the Southern Army of Northern Virginia, he said, just go home. Go home. Because we now are reconciled. And then Grant actually wrote this. He sent out this message. He said, the war is over. The rebels are our countrymen again. And the best sign of rejoicing after the victory will be to abstain from all demonstrations in the field. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? We're not going to gloat. We're not going to celebrate the defeat of someone else. We're actually going to be reconciled. We're going to be brothers again and cousins again and Americans again. And on a spiritual level, God is calling us to reconcile. Reconcile with Him and reconcile with others. Where are you today? Are you reconciled with Him? You fully reconciled? Doesn't mean you're perfect, but you and the Lord, you're doing okay. <laughs> are you reconciled with your brother, your sister, your cousin, your neighbor, your former boss? Let's pray together. Father, we can just imagine the scene when Jesus rode their donkey into Jerusalem and the crowds were cheering and celebrating. What an exciting time it was. They were expecting an earthly king that was going to come and conquer the Romans and establish a, a, a strong state and Jesus was there Lord to conquer their hearts and this morning in communion we reflected again on, on the cross and next week we will celebrate the resurrection and the power of the resurrection and Lord we, we believe mentally that you have the power to reconcile us to you you have the power to reconcile us 
to those who have sinned against us, to those that we have sinned against. And Lord, if we have failed in that area to be reconciled, show us so that we can truly say that there is no condemnation. Because that's what you say us, say to us. As we sing the song, <laughs> Hallelujah for the cross. What a wonderful way to wrap this message up. Hallelujah for the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do through my life. Allow the Lord to minister to you as our worship team leads us. And you respond to him as the Lord challenges you.
Amen. You're all right? Really? You can take anything to the Lord. He's up for it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, go with us into this wonderful day. Show us, Lord, who we can be ambassadors to. Show us, Lord, who we need to reconcile with. And Lord, show us if there's anything in our lives that we need to reconcile with you. Because by your straps, we are all healed. In Jesus' wonderful resurrection power name, amen. God bless you.